Have you ever been at the end of yourself in a desperate situation that you're not sure if you're going to make it through one way or the other? As I reflect on this question, I remembered when I was a, a first-time parent and Anora was only about a week old. Now, some of you parents may know what happens in this story where I woke up that morning and I was exhausted because I didn't sleep much the night before because Anora didn't sleep much the night before. And I wasn't sure how I was going to get through the day, do the work that I needed to do, or the, the schooling at the time that I was required to do. And I was just at the end of myself. I was desperate. If you're a parent or someone who else has been in that situation one way or another, would you hit the button in the comments that says, I've been there? As I, uh, this happened to me, uh, I started to read my Bible that morning. And I started to read Isaiah 43, 1-3, and this is what it says. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. As I read this passage on that morning, I remember starting to cry as I read it. And when I finished, I fell on the floor actually weeping because it showed that God would be with me. I knew that this was only a season that would eventually get better and I'd have better sleeps. But God saying that he'd be with me through the waters and the rivers and the flames and the difficulties, whatever is going around me, that I am his it comforted me. It gave me the strength to go through that day. Now, the day didn't get better. She didn't sleep immediately better the next day, but I knew that God was with me. You may have been in some of these situations in the past, but likely in one way or another, you've had some of these situations this year where you're desperate and you need some help in one way or another. This last week in our Facebook group, we asked uh, people what emotion they felt the most over the past week. And the number one answer was tired. And I get that. It's a tiring season to try to do everything we're supposed to do and try to change and find these new normals and get in different routines all the time. And we are exhausted. But today we're going to see a story where when we're desperate, we can come to Jesus. So in Mark 5, we read a story about two people who are in a desperate situation. This is the story from verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Uh, You see the people around crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Uh, Mark actually, this is really two stories that uh, Mark combines into one, and he does this a couple times throughout his gospel. Now, he could have easily shared one story and then later on shared the other story and even kind of said, meanwhile, this is what happened with the woman. But he puts them together because they have a similar purpose and, and they actually build on each other. And that purpose and our big idea for today is to come desperately to Jesus for his healing touch. Come desperately to Jesus for his healing touch. Uh, the, the two characters other than Jesus in this story are, are Jairus and the woman. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader, which means that he was wealthy and he was popular and people looked at him with respect. And the name Jairus is, is one of the only people that are actually named throughout Mark's gospel. That's not Jesus or one of his disciples. And that shows how popular and prominent he was that when Mark wrote this 25 years later, they still knew his name because of his significance, because of his popularity, because of his wealth, all those things. He had it all going for him. On the other hand, there was the woman. And because of her disease or her sickness, she was unclean. And because she was unclean in Jewish culture, people wouldn't be able to even touch her without having to wash themselves and wash their clothes. And 2,000 years ago, they couldn't just jump in the shower and throw a load of laundry in. So she may not have had a meaningful touch in 12 years. That's been a struggle for some of you and and many people over the last year, just going for a couple months. But this woman may not have had a hug or a handshake or somebody caring for her for 12 years. She also had nothing. She spent it all. She was, uh, nobody may not have even known her name, didn't have any friends. So when you look at these two people, one was greatly respected and the other was shunned. One was rich and one was poor. One was popular and one was alone. One was male, one was female. One was a synagogue leader. The other one may not have even been allowed to go in synagogues because of her illness. But they both came to Jesus. 
And what we can learn from this is that anyone can come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus. No matter what you did yesterday or, or what you've done in the past or what's been done to you or who you are or how much money you have or whether you're male or female or, or ethnicity or race or, or whoever you are, you can come to Jesus. And these two people show us how we can come because they came desperately to Jesus and we can come desperately to Jesus. The woman was obviously desperate. She had spent everything she had going to doctor after doctor to try to get better. Uh, the Talmud, which is an ancient uh, rabbinic compendium of different cures and, and different practices, it has actually 11 different things that can cure somebody with this kind of sickness. Now, some of these are, are medicines or tonics that she would drink, but some of them are pretty superstitious. Uh, one of them is that she has to carry around the ashes of an ostrich egg in linen during the summer and in cotton during the winter. She tried thing after thing to heal her, but nothing seemed to work. Every once in a while, I actually get the hiccups. Now, you probably get the hiccups too, but sometimes mine will actually last for a couple days, and they actually start to hurt a little bit when they are happening for that long. Do you have a cure for the hiccups? I invite you to share that in, in the comments. But whatever your cure is, I don't think it would work for me, because I've tried it. I've tried holding my breath until I've almost passed out. I've tried being scared by different people, obviously not knowing that they're going to scare me, then they scare me. I've tried chugging water. I've tried chugging milk. I've tried chugging water upside down, which didn't go well the first time, but the second time, I, I think I did it properly. And time after time after time, I still have the hiccups. So maybe your cure for the hiccups works for you, but it didn't work for me. And it's sometimes frustrating when people kind of tell me, oh, this is what you need to do, and I know that it won't work because I've tried it. Now, I know people come to me and tell me these things in love and trying to help, but it's still frustrating. I can only imagine time after time this woman who had this much more severe sickness trying thing after thing to become cured and nothing works. She was desperate. And then she hears of Jesus. And that day, she, she probably heard about some of the healings that he'd done and done in the past. Maybe it was a paralyzed man or a leper, how we calm the storm. And she, she decides, he won't give me the time. Why would he help me? I mean, I can't even get close to him. But in her desperate situation, she decides to push through the cloud and think, if I only touch his clothes, I will be healed. So I can imagine her pushing through the cloud and person after person, she would have her head down low so that nobody would see her because she wasn't allowed to touch people. So she'd have her head low to, so nobody would recognize her and kind of look up every once in a while to try to get closer to Jesus. And she was weak from her sickness for being this long, but she mustered all the strength she had so she could get close to Jesus and reached out and touched his clothes. And Mark 5, 29 says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. You can imagine the, the smile that goes across her face as she kind of stops and the crowd just kind of continues in front of her that she's finally free. But then she hears Jesus say something and says, who touched me? Uh, immediately, I, I think she knew that it was her, but she didn't speak up right away because she didn't want to have to explain her whole story, explain how she touched these people while she was unclean and explain how she touched Jesus while she was unclean. But then he said again, someone touched me and healing power went out of me. So she fell 
at his feet and desperately told him the whole truth. And he restores her. Jairus, similarly, was in a desperate situation. Uh, he was wealthy, so I can only assume that he, he also called the doctors and tried to get the doctors to look at his daughter. And he would have prayed to God to save him and maybe done some ceremonial practices to try to heal his daughter, but nothing seemed to work. And as he even went to Jesus, he says, uh, come and heal her so that she will live. He knew that there was a life and death situation. And he was a synagogue leader, which means he was part of the, the religious leaders who never really got along with Jesus. Jesus often called the religious leaders hypocrites or, or called them out for the evil things that they were doing. And the religious leaders would slander Jesus and they'd be competitive with him and, and eventually cause him to be brutally tortured and killed. They weren't on the same team, but, but Jairus was so desperate that he came to Jesus and he too fell at Jesus' feet. His situation got even more dire as he was waiting for this woman to share her story and Jesus stopping in the middle of the crowd and, and he'd probably be just thinking to himself over and over again, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, we need to go. And then he gets the dire news that his daughter had actually died. These people were desperately coming to Jesus so that they could be saved. And as they both fell at Jesus' feet, they're in a posture of dependence. A posture being at the end of themselves, but it's a posture of faith. Because we too can come desperately in faith to Jesus. Jesus recognizes that, that faith is the key for both of these people. He says to the woman that faith has made you uh, better. And to, the, uh, to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, uh, faith can have a lot of different definitions by different people, uh, but one of the clear definitions in, our, in the Bible is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Uh, there's, a, there's an assurance for both of them that, that Jesus will heal them. They, they haven't seen it yet. I mean, they both have heard stories about Jesus or else they wouldn't have come to him. There's some past evidence that Jesus can heal them, but he didn't do it yet. And in both of these uh, situations, they had to persevere through difficult circumstances. They had to have some actions. For both of them, they needed to come to Jesus. They needed to ask him in one way or another to, to heal, to be there. The woman doing it by touching his clothes and by sharing her story. And Jairus by putting himself on the line and his dignity and his place part of the religious leaders so that they could both be healed by Jesus, these acts of faith. Because faith isn't something that just usually happens, or the results for faith doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you need to persevere through obstacles, through waiting. We're actually going to cut away for a second and do an illustration to talk about that same purpose. Both Jairus and uh, the woman had to uh, have persevering faith, which sometimes takes actions. For the woman, it was going through the crowd. And for Jairus, he had to go against his religious leaders and uh, just walk to Jesus uh, and even have to persevere into the crowd. Uh, for us, we have to do things too to come to Jesus and persevere in faith. Maybe that's coming to him in prayer. But at times, we still have to wait. And nothing may be seeming to happen, but we still have to wait. 
Sometimes there's more actions we can take, like telling somebody we love them or working towards uh, peace and reconciliation. Persevering faith may seem like nothing is happening at all when it just takes time, when, when God just takes time to persevere. And that's really what builds our faith in the end, that sometimes God will do something very quickly when it seems like nothing was happening at all. And we, too, can persevere in our faith when it seems like nothing is happening. It would have been easy to give up for either of these people, especially for Jairus, who was told that his daughter had died. But they both chose to persevere. And Jesus helps them persevere when when he speaks to Jairus and he says, do not be afraid, just believe. And I believe some of you listening today need to hear that from Jesus. Do not be afraid, just believe. Do not be afraid, just believe. Do not be afraid about the government regulations, just believe. Do not be afraid of your health concerns, just believe. Do not be afraid about whatever's happening around you, whatever big situation, whatever relationship, whatever financially, whatever job, just believe. Just believe. Now, what this doesn't say is, do not do work, just believe. It doesn't say, just sit at home and wait for it to get better, just believe. If you have a health issue, it's good to uh, take measures to improve your health. If you have a financial issue, you can still uh, take uh, steps to have financial peace or, or whatever your situation is. It doesn't mean it doesn't neglect our actions. But you're not putting fear into the situation. You're believing in God who is King and Lord of the situation. You do not have to be afraid. You can believe. If you needed to hear that right now, I invite you to click the button in the comments to say, I needed to hear that, that I don't have to be afraid. I can believe. The reason we can believe is not the measure of our faith or our goodness or or how good we are, but it's in the God who we put our faith in, Jesus, who we put our faith in. He's not only just uh, somebody who us well, it's he's somebody who can heal. He's somebody who has power and he's somebody who has love. He showed his power uh, throughout Mark. He's already uh, healed many people, a leper and a paralyzed man. And, and two stories ago, we saw that he uh, calmed a storm and had power over nature. And, and last week we looked at how he had power over the spiritual realm, realm by just talking to uh, these demons and, and freeing a man who is demonized. And here we see that he has power over sickness and death and uncleanness. And Jesus didn't have to uh, work towards these things. It was simple. In each of these situations, he, he just spoke. It wasn't magic words or or an ornate uh, ordeal that he had to go through to have this healing happen. He has the power, so it just happened. The woman only needed to touch his clothes for it to happen. That shows the power that Jesus has, the power of the one we can put our faith in and believe. But Jesus also shows his love. To to the woman, he, he takes the time to listen to her story. And you may be wondering why he actually stopped this woman uh, and made her share her story in front of everybody. And although it would have been hard for her and it may have been embarrassing, I think because she did that, she not only was restored physically, but she was restored emotionally, that Jesus took the time to show her love and kindness. 
And she was also restored uh, socially as all the people around her would have seen that she is healed, she is free. For, for Jairus, he shows his love that even though Jairus was a, a religious leader who was kind of Jesus' opponent at the time, he stopped and showed him love. He stopped teaching the crowd that was around him and went to his house. He went through the people who mocked him and laughed at him and showed love by taking a girl's hand and bringing her back to life. Both of these healings reference touch. She, uh, the woman only touches Jesus' hem of his clothes. And Jesus takes the girl by his hand. The sense that portrays love the most, I believe, is touch. And it's something that we've missed over this year, but it's something that Jesus offers to both of these people and he offers to us. Now, it's not going to be a, a physical touch, most likely, that Jesus will take our hand, but a touch of love that we can tangibly feel as he shows us his power and his love. His love to forgive us of our uncleanness and his power over death and to transform us. But for both of these people and often for us, it might cost us something to come to Jesus desperately in faith. For the woman, it may not seem like she had much, but she actually had to give up her dignity, her, her embarrassing to go through the crowd Her whole lifestyle would have had to change at this this moment. So for her to come to Jesus and surrender whatever she has. For Jairus, he he would have surrendered his, his, maybe his status as a religious leader or being a synagogue leader, or uh, even as Jesus pushed the people out of his house, the people wouldn't have left unless Jairus agreed. So Jairus uh, would have had to stand up to everybody he knew to follow Jesus, to listen to Jesus. And because Mark knows his name 20 to 30 years later, I kind of assume that he became a Christian and was part of the church. Now, I don't know that for sure, but remembering a name for 25 years that got passed from person to person, as Mark uh, probably wasn't actually at this time, but he heard it from Peter, who watched this happen. Uh, But knowing that name shows that, that Jairus was willing to give up his whole lifestyle as well for what Jesus offers. They were willing to surrender what they had to receive what Jesus offers. And Jesus asks us the same thing. Are we willing to surrender whatever we have so that we can receive what he offers? And he offers life. He offers healing. He offers wholeness. He offers peace. He offers us free from suffering or whatever's going on in our lives. But first, sometimes we need to surrender what we have, what we're holding on to as we come to him. That's easy to do in hindsight. It's easy to look at this story and say, yeah, that's a good decision for them to do. But sometimes it's hard to do in the moment. Sometimes it's hard for us to be able to uh, follow Jesus in, in these moments and to surrender what we want, whether that's something sinful or maybe something that's just worldly. As I reflected on this message this week, I, I felt like I should surrender listening to football podcasts. Although I enjoy them and, and they're a joy to me, I felt like I should listen to Christian and leadership podcasts instead that will help me with my, my job and my calling here. And I receive life as I listen to those, but at first it was hard not to do that over the past couple of weeks. Jesus invites you to surrender what you have so you can receive what he has. Now, 
throughout this story, Jesus healing both this woman of her sickness and her uncleanness and uh, Jairus' daughter coming back to life, it, it actually points to something greater. It points to what Jesus did on the cross. Because of his death on the cross, we can come to him and be cleaned. He has the power to clean us. And because he rose back to life, it shows that he has the power over death, both now and forevermore, that we can have eternal life. And Jesus offers it to us. Maybe you're somebody who would never call yourself a Christian or you've never chosen to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus invites you to come to him desperately to receive his healing touch. If that's you and you want to do it, I invite you to uh, do that right now. All you have to do is admit that you've done wrong and believe that his death on the cross paid the penalty for your wrongdoings and commit to follow him. If you've done that, I want to encourage you, and I encourage you to click the button in the comments so that we can also encourage you in this new lifestyle. For those of you who are Christians and are listening, I encourage you this week, whatever your situation is, whether it's uh, just a little bit hard or whether you're completely desperate at the end of yourself, maybe you're tired from your lifestyle, tired from watching your kids in a, in a different way or trying to... Uh, you're tired of all these regulations and not being able to connect with other people the way you want. You're, you're tired of what's going on in your life. Or maybe you're desperate and you're not sure what's going to happen with your finances or, or with your work or with your relationships. Whatever it is that you can come to Jesus. That's going to look different for each of you. But as we come desperately to Jesus for his healing touch, we can surrender what we have and receive what he offers. And he wants to restore us so that we can live in peace so that he can be glorified both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that no matter who we are, that we can come to you for healing, physically, emotionally, and although our situation may not change as, as quickly or as drastically as it did for these people, God, that, that we can still come to you. God, I invite you and I ask you to give each person the courage to come to you this week. The courage to surrender what we have so that we can receive what you offer and receive your healing touch. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.